Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Has Tottenham season just hit the skids? Hello and welcome to episode 25. Yes, the Real Football Cast brings up its quarter century tonight. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. But in addition to that, there have also been some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention also in the next hour. Joining me tonight is the return of Matthew, our resident Fulham fan, I guess. And how are things with you, my friend? Uh, they could be better. Fulham seem to be dragging themselves ever slowly and slowly towards, the rele- towards official relegation, so... Yeah, I've got to find myself to be cheerful somehow. Yeah, honestly, yeah, tr- let's try and sort of um, not dwell on it too much. We will focus on uh, Fulham's, um, I guess, bizarre defeat on Saturday. But there are plenty of other topics to sort of take your mind off it also. And I also invite my friend Dean Smith onto the show for the first time this season. Me and Dean have crossed swords on um, some Tottenham podcasts in the past. So it's not the first time we've spoken. And it must be, I guess, a pleasure to have him on the, the show this evening. So, Dean, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Dan. Uh, a little bit disappointed with... Tottenham's result over the weekend, especially living up here in Manchester, it's never nice losing to that lot. So a little bit disappointed with that, but good and looking forward to good hours chat about the football. Excellent. You're in the right place. Before we do all that, I'll do some social media bits first, so I'm not talking into the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's at DanTracy1983 on Twitter. Anything show related, please send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a new game that sees betting turned on its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Especially as, once again, there's a prize pool which guarantees a winner £1,000. Something you will not want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And I guess, Dean, there's only one place to start, and that is the news that Harry Kane is out until March. Now, I'm not saying we as Tottenham fans are doomed, but we're doomed, aren't we? 
Uh, I think so, Dan. Yeah, it's not looking good, is it? Uh, just as Song goes across to the Asian Games and we've got plenty of injuries in midfield as well and at the back at the moment. So it's starting to it's starting to pile up and with some big fixtures coming up. Yeah, you've got to worry. Uh, I'm not I'm not even sure what sort of team we'll be able to put out on on Sunday at Fulham, but there might be a few kids in there. I wouldn't be surprised if like Oliver Skip starting, for example, uh, just out of necessity. And it's a bit of a worry when you look at the fixtures that Kane could miss out on because it's looking like six or seven weeks at least, and that could mean he misses Arsenal and Chelsea and, and maybe even both legs of the uh, Dortmund game in the Champions League. So, yeah, it's, it's not looking good at the moment, but um, it's what, it's one of, it's, it is what it is, isn't it, I suppose, when we, we haven't really got enough depth to, to cope with it. This is what happens, I suppose, and with Kane being our main threat, we're going to need players like Deli Ali and, and Christian Eriksen to step up and, and start finding the net a little bit more regularly than they have done so far this season. What can the club do in the next couple of weeks to alleviate the pressure on the likes of Ali and Eriksen? I mean, surely we've got to sign someone in January, but then again, it's never that easy, is it? I mean, where do you even start in terms of possible replacements? It, it's, it's never easy with Tottenham uh, trying to sign players, as we saw in the summer. And, and in January, it always seems to be more difficult because teams are less likely to have planned for losing players. So trying to bring someone in in January and then expecting them to, to sort of make a difference in Pochettino's system is always difficult. We saw with Lucas coming in last January, it took sort of six or seven months for him to get up to speed with what Pochettino was actually asking from him. So, um, yeah... The, a player that's been linked with with Chelsea is Callum Wilson, who, who I've actually sort of tipped up as a, a potential sort of Kane backup for the last few years. But now you see a price tag of fifty million being slapped on him, and you, you can't see Tottenham paying that sort of money for a player who's likely to be second choice uh, when Kane's fit. So it, it's difficult. If there's someone out out available on loan, maybe I think Mykon uh, Malcolm, sorry, has been uh, linked again from Barcelona. So maybe someone like that, but. With it being Tottenham, you know, I never expect anything really in the transfer window. Matthew, from a more neutral stance, actually, no, with this weekend in mind, as Fulham play uh, host to Tottenham, it's probably manna from heaven, isn't it? But in all seriousness, how do you see Tottenham's season now panning out? I mean, let's be um, honest in the sense that they were in the, the running for a cup, the League Cup, you know, they're still in the Champions League, but that looks like it could be seriously derailed. Is now top four a threat? You know, obviously, from a Tottenham fan's point of view, the world has ended today. Can you cast a little bit more light or is it as bad as it seems for us? Well, no, this is me coming from a sort of neutral aspect. I'm sort of taking it slightly more rationally. And I'm just looking at the sort of the, the fixtures that Spurs have coming up. You've got Fulham on the weekend, which is, you know, stick Vincent Janssen up front for all I care. That's three points for you. The semi-final against Chelsea is probably the only really big game sort of thing. Uh, FA Cup, yes, I know Pochettino wants to win a trophy, but it probably does come third in his priorities. Uh, maybe even maybe even fourth if he gets to the final of the League Cup. Who knows? Watford, somewhat difficult. And then um, Newcastle at home, which should be easy enough. Those are the games that basically Harry Kane is out whilst Shung, uh, I've never known, Shung Min Sun, however his name is pronounced. I always have trouble with, um, with Asian players. Those are really the games you have to worry about because uh, Sun has proven in the past that he can um, he can take that role on his own. So really, you don't have to worry about the two months until Harry Kane comes back. You only really need to worry about the one month until until Sun comes back. And who knows if South Korea get knocked out early in the in the Asia Games or in the Asia Cup, then he might come back even earlier. We don't know. 
But my question is, you talked about Spurs signing a new player or maybe going for a guy. Does this not maybe a strike for maybe a high-profile loan? It's similar to, but not direct comparison to, what Man United did with Henrik Larsson or those well, 12 years ago, I think it is. Get a big-name player, but just for three months. I may be looking towards the MLS. I know Joseph Martinez, who is the top scorer, has got a load of... Um, has got a load of um, attention from European clubs. Is this not maybe the time to sort of test? Um, and I, I don't want to make another direct comparison, but what Thierry Henry did for Arsenal, just get him in for two months. Just say, right, let's see if he can hack it in the Premier League. And if he can, then maybe we'll come and visit this back down the road. If not, then we haven't really lost much. Is that maybe the way to go rather than relying on Daniel Levy to uh, buy someone, which he's proven to be shy of doing in the past? I mean, to be honest, that's a great theory and it actually probably has more legs than trying to spend £50 million on Callum Wilson. Dean, I guess, again, the question is, who fills that sort of criteria? I mean, dare I say, it would have almost been perfect for Jermaine Defoe to come back, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I'm not sure, given his uh, form with Bournemouth so far this true, season. Yeah, true. I think maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind Defoe when he went back to Sunderland, but I think now maybe... Uh, we have to be setting our sights a little bit higher, but I can't think of many sort of big name players that are struggling to get game time. Um, if you're looking at the MLS, I mean, there's one obvious name, which is uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but I can't really see him uh, fancying coming back to the Premier League for a few months. That's I'm not like, a bad show. Not the worst Zlatan show, in for a yeah. couple of months. That's not what? a bad yeah. show. Uh, we started something here, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we're starting a movement. I mean, let's move on. Cause there is a, there's a lot of Tottenham talk that we could be discussing, but unfortunately there's a lot of other teams as well. So um, another off-pitch headline, Dean, and it's the news that David Wagner has departed Huddersfield. Um, the terminology was mutual consent, which I guess it probably was. It didn't really feel like a sacking, but is it fair to say that as good as a job that he did, he just simply ran out of ideas? Yeah, I think so in the end. I mean, I, I can't think of many clubs where a manager will go nine games uh, go on a nine-game losing streak and keep the job. And I know Huddersfield are sort of punching above the weight in being in the Premier League, but even punching above your weight to be there shouldn't mean that you sort of. I think I think the the chairman put it as sleepwalk into relegation. He, he weren't going to let that happen, and I think that was that is basically what is happening at Huddersfield. I'm not sure who they, who they will bring in, but if they can bring in someone with experience of beating the drop, obviously the name is Sam Allardyce, even though apparently he's ruled himself out today then they've probably put up a bit more of a fight than they managed in the last few weeks. But it's small margins as well. I mean, against Cardiff, they were so unlucky with, with what, to me, looked like an obvious penalty. Um, that could have changed the season around. and They could have been flying towards sort of safety and, and picking up points that you wouldn't expect them to like they did last year. But it just doesn't seem to have happened for them this year, which is unfortunate. But they don't really seem to have the funds to, to uh, sort of, build a team that's going to be able to sustain themselves in the Premier League for a while so I think it makes sense to sort of bring someone in to fight the fire see if they can stay up and then try and go again in the summer but it's, it is a shame because it's an incredible achievement getting Huddersfield into the Premier League in the first place and he deserves a lot of credit for that I mean Matthew with Huddersfield being at the bottom the only way they can go is up however can you see any sort of new manager bounce on the horizon whoever that man comes in or could it be more scenario where remember when Burnley in their first season in the Premier League uh, they appointed Brian Laws, didn't they, at this sort of period? And they pretty much just braced themselves for relegation. Are we going to see something similar with Huddersfield? Yeah, I think this is more of a forward because because it, it wasn't a sacking; it was a mutual. Yeah, it was a mutual consent sort of thing. So I'm thinking maybe this is David Wagner saying, 
I can't be going through relegation and then go through the maybe maybe they're, they're planning for an overhaul um, of players leaving. I know Aaron Moy is very highly touted. Um, that's that's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. But maybe he just doesn't want to go through the rebuild that's that's going to be facing them. So he says, right, get someone in now who will have time to adjust and see what he wants. Yeah, you you know, you're going to bleed a bit. I'm going to bleed a bit. I'm going to go look for. I'm going to look for something else. So I think their next appointment is probably going to be because it's seven points. I think the gap is at the moment, and that's a, a, too big a gap. I think at this stage of se- at this stage of the season to to overcome, especially for a poor side like Huddersfield. So it is probably going to be a a forward thinking, maybe getting ready for the championship manager, which leads me squarely to I think Slavisa Kanovic might be getting a job back. I think if you appoint him now, give him the couple of months, maybe he can, you know, I, I highly doubt it because that's why he left the job of, uh, he was sacked at Fulham. Uh, maybe give him a bit of a more fight for survival, but when they go down, they're in a prime position with a very good championship level manager for for their uh, for their immediate promotion push. That is another excellent shout. Matthew, you're on fire tonight, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, that is actually... Um, a very wise one, because I know Jukanovic reportedly turned down the chance to speak to Stoke last week and obviously thought, you know, he can work one as in the Championship, but you can't polish a turd, really, with the way Stoke are at the moment. But like you say, with Huddersfield, there'd be no real pressure for him to sort of stay up. Obviously, if they did, it would be a huge achievement and a massive bonus. But you're right, it almost sort of sets the preparations for the sort of Championship next season with a perfect tilt to go back up. So it's almost like a like a sideways step or something, you know, to then sort of set yourself up and go again. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's not a bad shout. And it's also something a bit more different than the usual moist Allardyce sort of axis of evil, you know, just trotting out the same firefighters. So be interested to see who Huddersfield go for. Um, if we stay on the R topic, relegation, Matthew, can you please explain what on earth happened on Saturday? I mean, I guess it was a perfect example of when it's not your day, it's really not your day. Two own goals you conceded and Burnley won without even having a shot on goal. Yeah, it's one of those. You no, know, we went into that saying it's a it's a must win game. So anything less than anything less than a win was unacceptable. I I honestly can't can't explain it. Um, it's not as if you know when when you first see the, the news coming in because I unfortunately I unfortunately wasn't at the game. I had to do some reporting somewhere. But when you see you know two own goals, you try to think right. How has that happened? For they weren't sort of mistakes by the by the Fulham players. It wasn't as if there were two Gary Neville's against Croatia's sort of own goals where where someone made a mistake. It's just they were both just bad luck. And I think it's it's just just one of those cases you know, we discussed this on um uh, cheap plug here, the Fulham Focus podcast last That's night. Fine, where we discussed is it a tactical thing where, you know, because we played five at the back, you're sort of crowding you know, your defensive box with so many defenders, so many bodies, more chance of more chance of a deflection and a block going in. Whereas if you know by process of mathematics, if you have less defenders, less bodies for it to less bodies for it to go through, sort of thing. So we're trying to work out whether or not it is just bad luck, whether it's poor management or whether or not it, it's just bad personnel. I honestly, I honestly can't explain it. I don't, I don't think any Fulham fan can. It is, yeah. If we'd been beaten three 0 it would have been somewhat more understandable. But the fact that we managed to keep, essentially, we kept Burnley at bay, which is what Claudio Ranieri wants to do. So that, in a, in a sense, it's a positive. But the fact that we managed to gift them the two goals, that is just. The curious thing, and it just just a stink of bad luck. You think, 
this is this is going to be our day, and as a result, this is going to, isn't going to be our season. Yeah, I think it just was bad luck, really. I think there's probably some logic in the fact that if you if there's a lot of bodies in the box and you just ping it in somewhere, then the chances are it is going to hit some sort of body part. And 99 times out of 100, they just drift off for a corner. But to have to happen once is, you know, unfortunate. To happen twice is just sincere bad luck, really. And it's something you can't really explain. I guess you just got to move on. And it, like you say, it just wasn't your day. And I guess, Dean, it's something you can apply to also Tottenham the day after because we as a club, we threw everything, including the kitchen sink at David De Gea, and it just didn't come off, did it? No, it was just one of those days, weren't it? And it sort of felt like old Tottenham again, sort of uh, <laughs> coming up against a uh, player, having his game of the season against us. It seems like it's been a while since that sort of thing happened, but it used to happen every week. Um, it, it was it was partly De Gea being excellent, partly a lot of tired legs out there, and a lot of tired sort of half hit shots I think I mean Lorente's one in particular when he managed to take it, take it down and then he just it, it, there was just nothing in that shot and uh, time and again we sort of picked the gap and found the pass and, and just couldn't quite find that, that last touch but fair play to, to United it was uh, more resilient performance than they put up uh, against us in the last couple of games and um, obviously all the Tottenham fans are now fully on the Solskjaer for the job uh, hype train I think yeah, exactly. It's all part of the master plan. Let them have that one. Let them show how good uh, Solskjaer is. And then the, the sort of pots to uh, United rumours start to dissipate, which is, uh, you know, I guess tongue in cheek. But it's not. If there, if there was any positive to take from that result, that's probably it. Because he's doing a sensational job as United manager. Um, I know you might sort of say, well, the six games he's won, it's not been the toughest of opposition. But ultimately, you can only beat what's in front of you. And more importantly, he's just got a set of players that are obviously down tools under Mourinho playing again and it's the notable change is remarkable it's just like night and day really isn't it so 100%. I've, yeah I've, I mean I've got a sneaky feeling that they'll do something in the second half of the season whether that's getting into the top four or winning something and I think that will be enough to keep Solskjaer because the answer is almost under their nose isn't it, isn't it Matthew yeah but you've got to um, take this with a pinch of salt because it's because um, uh, if you heard what Paul Ince said today, and I do to I do an ex- to an extent agree with what Paul Ince said. If you look at what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer did, is what he's done down to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, or is it down to just being not Jose Mourinho? And that's a case of you know, forgetting forgetting the ego and just coming in with a fresh face and a new look at ideas. You know, if, um, if would Zinedine Zidane have been able to roll off? These six straight wins, in all likelihood, probably. Yeah. Because because yeah. indeed Zidane's a good manager. So let's not put this all on on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's put some of it down to the fact it's not Jose Mourinho, but some of it down to the players. And you're talking about there being the answer right under their nose. They they have to be very very careful about that because we had that situation a couple of years ago with Kit Simons after he took over from Felix McGath, where again by simply not being Felix McGath and actually playing with a sort of structure and not being absolutely bonkers, Kit Simons um, managed to pull off a, a, a few decent results to to the extent where I think we'd beat just beaten Charlton three nil. And the Sky Sports commentator, because this was when Kit Simons was in his caretaker mode, basically said, "How can you not give him the job?" And that's basically where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is at the moment. It's in a state of how can you not give him the job? That's all well and good, but just know that. 
if you're going down that road, you have to stick down that road. Because come the end of the season, Zinedine Zidane might be available. There may be, I don't know, maybe Simeone has a falling out with the people at Atletico Madrid for not winning the for not winning the Champions League again. I don't know. Maybe he's going to be available. I can't think of any other big name managers that are sort of uh, out there. Martin O'Neill's just gone this afternoon, so there's another one off the list. But you've got to. Be absolutely 100% sure that this is the right man for three years' time and not just being caught in the emotion of this thing, which is why I think it would be very smart, even if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wins them something, just to take a week off and just say, right, Ole, we're going to think about this, rather than just giving him, rather than just, you know, as he walks off the stage, uh, having won the FA Cup, to say, right, here's your contract, sign it now. They need to think this through very, very carefully. Because this is Manchester United. This is big, big, but not just, just, not just for them, but for the whole world of football is going to have big ramifications on what they do next. Yeah, that's a fair viewpoint, actually. And I guess if we look at an example like Roberto Di Matteo, what was it in 2012, that he won the Champions League with Chelsea, but there was almost, I guess, he almost sort of stayed on too long. It was almost impossible to not give him the job full-time after winning the Champions League, but then you've lost that sort of galvanising mode the following season, and then you're sort of just back to not being the sort of manager that the club needs. And I guess there is that danger of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, let's say, let's go big, let's say they do win the Champions League and they give Solskjaer the job permanently and then that same scenario might happen and you think oh do you know what we've now got to find another manager but the potential targets they could have gone to your Zidane's and such and your Simeone's they might not be available so you are right Matthew it's all about trying to sort of pick the right man at the right time and they can't really keep affording to get this wrong can they? No, exactly. That's that's all. What I'm saying is, you know, regardless of regardless of how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does, they're probably best to basically basically tell him to go go away for a week whilst whilst they whilst they discuss it. And you know, even if they have to wait a week for any more managerial fallouts, you know, it's best to you know take your time and think over this rather than making uh, rather than making a snap decision. Good shout, Matthew. Okay, let's uh, go back to goalkeepers and the news that Petr Cech. He's going to retire at the end of the season. So, Dean, where would you rank him in terms of the Premier League all-time greats? He's number one for me in really? terms of goalkeepers. Yeah, um, I think the first few seasons that he, were, he was at Chelsea, he just looked absolutely unbeatable. And every, every single week, he just seemed to pull off like an unbelievable save. And for me, like, I do remember uh, Schmeichel, but maybe not at his absolute prime for United. So, um, in my sort of... Uh, live watching football, then I would say Petr Cech is the best keeper uh, the Premier League has seen because he was just an absolute stalwart in that team of Chelsea players that was just so so hard to beat in every single way. And um, he's gone to Arsenal and perhaps it's on a, on a difficult couple of years for Arsenal, so he might not have shined as much as maybe we expected him to. And obviously the, the sort of role of a goalkeeper is changing now where they're expected to play with the feet a little bit more, and that it's quite clear that he's not suited to that. But when he was at his best, for me, he was yeah the best the best goalkeeper the Premier League's ever seen. Matthew, um, do you want to counter that, or do you agree? What's your take on Petr Cech? Uh, I, uh, as being a goalkeeper in my youth, I absolutely idolised Peter Schmeichel. He was my hero growing up, so I'm not going to take any word against Peter Schmeichel. It wasn't really a word against Peter but Peter Schmeichel will always be the greatest Premier League goalkeeper. And I don't think there's, there's a couple that are on their way 
to stopping him. I think De Gea has the chance. I think Edison has the chance. But Peter Schmeichel will always be number one. But coming in number two is, is Peter Cech. Is Peter Cech. I can't think there's been any more sort of standout goalkeepers. You know, Dean mentioned about him being the stalwart in that uh, those early Chelsea sides, 2004, 2005, 2006. It, admittedly, he did have a very good defence in front of him with the likes of John Terry, Ricardo Caballo, William Gallas. But some of the stuff he was able to pull off and... And the fact that he managed to come back from his injury, that 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 horrible injury, keep playing because that's a very risky thing to do, to to play to play goalkeeper have, uh, having a fractured skull. Um, and again, just some of the stuff that he's some of the stuff he's been able to do over the years. I firmly I firmly put him in number uh, number two in this in this whole thing. But um, it, it needs to be said he has been a fantastic servant to to the Premier League. And even though he hasn't quite managed to give Arsenal the 10 to 15 points a year that he was bought on this on the purpose of he's still done it he's still done an excellent he's still done an excellent job for them high praise indeed I've got a bit of a hypothetical uh, question now for you both Dean I think you just sort of touched on it but I'll ask the question anyway due to the fact that he isn't so good with his feet than compared to someone like Edison or Allison, um if he was five to ten years younger would a top 16 even take a punt at him Due to the evolution of the goalkeeper, you know, like he's not the kind of goalkeeper that big clubs now need. So, is he almost of a bygone era? I'm not sure about that. I think even in the top six, you get sort of different styles being played, and maybe he wouldn't be signed by Pep Guardiola at Man City. But I still think a team like sort of Mourinho's United. I'm not really sure how different it's been under Solskjaer in terms of that particular area of the pitch, but. I think there'd still be a place for a keeper that, that was that solid. Uh, maybe maybe now there are other aspects that, that managers take into account as much as actual shot stopping. But when you're that good, uh, I think he'd still be the best shot stopper in the league right now if if he was at his prime. So I think he'd still be pretty high up there. And if not in the Premier League, then, then certainly at one of Europe's biggest clubs. Matthew, is that something you'd go with? Yeah, um... Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of along the same lines. I don't he wouldn't fit into a um nice passing at the back style of um of Pep Guardiola or or Liverpool. But yeah, Manchester United don't seem to be having a, an em- a high emphasis on this. So he could so he uh, do a job he do a job for them. Um Spurs to an extent, I I'm not hearing a lot of talk about how Lloris is good with his feet. He just seems to be a very good shop stopper and a sweeper keeper. He could probably he could probably learn to play that role. So yeah, some top some top six club uh would would absolutely take him. But is he a modern goalkeeper? No, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a place in the real world, in the modern world, rather. Decent shout. If we stay with Arsenal now, Dean, and according to Unai Emery, the piggy bank is empty. There's no money for permanent signings. So, in a week where they're now skint, a defeat was to West Ham was not the result that they wanted. Is it fair to say that they were incredibly lacklustre against the Hammers on Saturday? It, it was a very beggar sort of Arsenal performance, weren't it, it on Saturday? It looked, it, looked like a, it looked like the last few seasons where they've sort of turned up to these games and they just didn't seem like the hearts were in it from the start. And given some of the players that they've brought in, like Genduzi and Terreira, who were sort of supposed to give them that steal in midfield, they just seemed to be outrun and outfought by a West Ham side that seemed really up from it, up for it from the word go. So I think that'll be a worry to Arsenal fans because they've seen a lot of those performances over the last few years. And I think they know that it can be a slippery slope once they start to see them again. And, and I think there have actually been two or three over the last few weeks. I mean, I was at the League Cup game against Tottenham. And uh, they just didn't look interested from the word go again in that one. And 
it's a bit of a worry because I think after twenty that twenty two game on beaten run, I think it was, their fans were probably thinking, well, we're going to get in the top four and we're going to win a trophy, and now it's looking like neither of those things are, are a reality this season. So. Um, I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm gutted about it, but yeah, it's a bit <laughs> worrying for Arsenal fans. And Matthew, what's your take on all things Mesut Ozil at the moment? Is he injured? Is he dropped? Should they sell him to then free up um, some wages? Because if you sort of take into account 350 grand a week, divvy that out to what two or three other players that could fill up their squad, probably a better use of the money. So what would you do in Unai Emery's shoes? Um, I try to get rid of him. Isn't it a bit weird? This, this seems like the kind of move that if... If indeed he is injured, or or indeed not injured, and you know he's just but this seems like the ideal. Where's the Chinese club coming in? This seems like one of those perfect where all of a sudden you get you get here of you know Shanghai Shenhua are suddenly um going to are going to put a bid in from Ezra and pay him a million pound a week. So the fact that even I you, we talk about selling him is it maybe the fact that maybe nobody wants him? Maybe yeah. they've just seen enough attitude problems with him over the over the years. And again, going back to Mon's style of play, he doesn't exactly he, he's not exactly the most mobile of people. He doesn't no, not the most defensive mind as well. Maybe it's just a case of, you know, no he has to sort of he he's not in Emery's plan, so he's not gonna play him. And nobody wants him, so he's not gonna go anywhere. So maybe it's just a case of trying to run of, you know, run the contract run the contract out until they can finally get him off game off the wage bill. Yeah, I think it's he's a good the point. only luxury player in the world who's on two hundred grand a week, isn't he? <laughs> the only player in the world that's getting that sort of money and can't even get in a team that's struggling to beat West Ham. I mean well, that's, that's right. because usually if you're earning that money, you're in the sort of calibre of the top bracket of world class footballers, aren't you? You know, there's no doubting Ozil's talent, his temperament and his actual application of that is something different. But if you're commanding that money, you should usually be backing up and actually performing. So for Ozil to be nowhere near the, even the bench at the moment, you think something's not quite right there. And I don't think the sort of... Uh, is Emery really a disciplinarian? Not, he's not really... I don't know. That's probably not the sort of um, best description of him. But he's someone who will sort of demand a shift. And that's not something that Ozil's going to give you either, really. So I think Matthew's made a great point in the fact that there's probably no real suitors for the money that Arsenal would command and the wages that he will also command. They're probably just thinking it's not worth the sort of the hassle and the sort of value on any investment, really. So it's a strange one that the fact that he's earning all this money, no one really wants him, and Arsenal fans aren't really aware of the whole situation. So, like you say, Dean, I'm not going to cry too much. <laughs> but if, when, we, when we look at Arsenal, they're in the uh, the big six, that elite club which a couple of other members would love to get an invite to, but it is, for all intents and purposes, a closed shop, isn't it? So let's focus on the mid-table section of the Premier League now. And from the both of you, I want to get your opinions on a couple of managers. So let's band a few names about. Let's go with Claude Puel, Marco Silva and Eddie Howe. For you, Matthew, I'll start with you first. Who's under the most pressure at the moment? And certainly in the case of those first two names I've just said, could you argue that the fans of their clubs have somewhat got false expectations of what Leicester and Everton should be doing this season? Yes. Um, I think in the place... I'll, I'll go to the first question first. Okay. I think Claude Pio was under the most pressure because I think he is the only one under some level of pressure. I think Eddie Howe basically just gets a free hit every year. So long as he, so long as he finishes 17th, everything everything else is just a bonus because Bournemouth are never never going to be fighting for top six seven places maybe maybe you know maybe disappointed in going at um going out of the cup um but other than that 
I don't think there's any any real pressure on him. He's basically got the freedom of Bournemouth at stage. Marco Silva, it's still too early in to sort of work this out again. As long as they can put in a decent fight for seventh, meh. And to get, go back, Claude Puel is probably the only one because I do think Leicester have somewhat been spoiled after what they did, after what they did all those years ago. And Leicester are probably not just not just winning, but the fact that they were playing an entertaining, you know, somewhat entertaining style of football with that quick counter attack. It, it's a view that I've always been against to an extent because I've never agreed in this whole uh oh you you go to football to be entertained i'd much rather get i'd much rather get the wins so so long as uh club is getting more wins than losses he'd be he'd be okay in my book so i just think leicester fans are, you know as you said have got a bit weird expectations as to what their club should be providing whereas you know comfortable mid-table in the premier league is probably punching above leicester's weight in the grand scheme of things so they so they should be happy with it but for some reason they're just not and Dean, what's your take on that question? Yeah, I think because of the money that they've spent um, since winning the title, I think they have a right maybe to say maybe seventh or eighth, which is where they are right now. Uh, the, the thing for, for me with clubs like Leicester and Everton is they've got to be playing a brand of football that's entertaining because at the end of the day, they're probably going to finish seventh, eighth, ninth, regardless. Like last season, Everton, I think, finished 10th or 11th in the end, maybe even higher than that. Um, but they were playing dour football. and If you're going to be finishing in mid-table anyway, then I think the fans have got to have a reason to go to the game and be entertained because otherwise, I mean, what's what's the point really? So, yeah, it's difficult because Leicester's, Leicester's such a, a, a strange case because obviously that ridiculous title win, everything's going to be sort of compared against that afterwards. And I think 7th, 8th, I think they're 8th at the moment, that's probably the right, the right area for them. Everton could probably do better than they are doing at the minute. You would maybe expect a little bit more consistency from them. Um, but in Silver, they've got a, a manager who's got a, quite an obvious style of play. And I think if they give him time to sort of build a project, give him the funds that they need to sort of kick onto that next level, I think they could get there. It's just a case of sort of, um, sort of ironing out the problems that they've had over the last few years. And obviously after Allardyce, it was always going to be a big change and it was always going to be a sort of teething problem. So, I think Puel will probably end up going by virtue of not playing the sort of football that Leicester fans want to see. Uh, so I would say he's under more pressure. Um, but I would say Everton are the team that are more likely in the next few years to sort of knock on the door of that top six. But again, it, it comes down to sort of that style of play. And if the fans aren't happy, then I don't see why sort of play, uh, managers like Puel and, and Silva should sort of get a free pass because they're just sort of doing, not the bare minimum, but sort of playing to expectations, really. I mean, if I start with you, Dean, Puel, he's eight for the moment with Leicester. What else can he do? Because obviously the cup defeat to Newport wasn't great and that doesn't help his case at all. But in the grand scheme of things, do Leicester fans have to be careful that, you know, we look at what happened with him at Southampton, that the grass might not be green on the other side because then Southampton went to um, Pellegrino, Mark Hughes. They've sort of finally found the manager they need in Ralph Hasenhutl. But do Leicester have to be careful that if they get rid of Puel, they might get the wrong man in and it sets them back. I mean, they're sort of being linked with a whole host of names. Brendan Rodgers was one I saw the other day and you think, well, is he really going to leave Celtic to go to Leicester? So is there that, I guess there's always a risk, but do Leicester have to be mindful of that? Because even with that manager, it has shown that things can go worse after sacking him. Yeah, 
I think you've got a point there, especially because I don't know how much better it could actually get. I think that, I think that's the point. Um, it, it could it, look. It depends on the manager that they brought in to replace him. I think I don't know whether Rogers would leave Celtic, but I do think that would be quite a good appointment for Leicester, and maybe for him if he thinks he can do a decent job at Leicester, and then maybe if he can get them sort of knocking on the top door of the top six again, then maybe one of the top six would eventually come for him. And I think that would maybe be what would attract him to Leicester. So sort of being in the Premier League and maybe using it as a bit of a stepping stone. Um, but yeah, it, it totally depends, doesn't it? I mean, for, I thought Southampton had got a good manager in uh, Pellegrini. Pellegrino? Pellegrino. Yep. Yeah. Uh, at the time, obviously it just didn't work out. Sometimes it, it just doesn't. And that's, that's the way it is. But yeah, I think like you said, it's, it's hard. It's hard to sort of gauge where Leicester should be. I mean, I, I was saying this the other week we went to Leicester v Tottenham and what a weird experience it must be to be a Leicester fan because you know you're never you're never quite going to get that same season again. So where do you where do you place your expectations? It's a it's a tough one to to answer. Yeah, that, you know that's a very good point because where do you hang your hat each season? Because you, you've tasted the you know the ultimate glory, you know, but then you've also been in a relegation battle, so it's very volatile. And I think maybe they're not just happy with a, a mid-table season. Maybe it's just not exciting enough. Maybe they need something to at least. Given that excitement, because if you've had both ends of the spectrum and you're just sort of dealing with eight, it must be, I guess, boring by comparison. But um, if we take a quick diversion to the championship now, and I just want to get your views, both of you, on Spygate between uh, Leeds and Frank Lampard's Derby, which you legally have to call Derby now, because that's all he's ever called now, isn't it? Frank Lampard's Derby. Um, Marcelo Bielsa has had to be reminded that spying isn't really the done thing in England, and both the EFL and FA have opened inquiries. So, Matthew, what, if anything, will happen from this? I mean, someone mentioned a points deduction. Could it be that severe? Um, that was generally my my first thought over this, because if Marcel, if Marcelo Bielsa has basically... First off, I don't really care. It's in the Championship. Yeah. I'll worry about that next season. Um, but in all, in all honesty, if he's saying that this is something he's done over the course of the year... That's one thing. If the EFL and the FA and whoever the relevant authorities are say this is against the rules, this is the key bit. If what he's done is, you know, it's not illegal on a on a in a legal uh, court sense because he was on he was on a public road looking into private property, so there's a bit of grey area there. But if he's actually broken EFL or FA rules, saying you cannot spy on such and such a thing, and if he said that he's done this throughout his career. That basically leaves the intention that he's probably done this for every single game this season. Does that not then give them the sort of justification if he has broken the rules, which is the key bit, just to right void every single Leeds every single Leeds result this season? You know, automatic three nil loss for Leeds um, going back to the start of the year. That's my sort of one thing about it. Is if. Yeah, I, I, I've heard talk about maybe just a heavy fine, maybe even a small fine. But I honestly think the way or how my feelings about this are going to be is basically going to be down to whether or what rules he did break, if any. Yeah, it's, an, it's certainly an interesting one. I mean, it's something that we don't really get in England. But Dean, I mean, what's your take on all things Bielsa? I mean, he's, he's been a breath of fresh air to Leeds and the Championship, but bending the rules slightly, do you not think? Yeah, I don't actually know if there is anything in the laws of the game that say that you can't do that. I think what it is is bringing the game into disrepute. I think that's what people are saying that it could be uh, a part of. And then obviously, because this hasn't happened before, the punishment will sort of be made up on the spot. So we don't, it's unprecedented. We don't actually know 
uh, what's going to happen. But I, I quite, I quite like it. I'm not going to lie. I quite like that he's uh, that he's owned it as well. He's, he doesn't seem in the least bit bothered by all the attention that's come as a as a result of it. Uh, I think he probably thinks he's going to get away with it, and he's probably going to lead leads back into the Premier League. So. Fair enough. Um, I watched the game and Leeds were absolutely excellent. Uh, and I think everyone wants them back in the Premier League, don't they? Because it, it, it would be it would be good fun. Yeah, it certainly would be. I mean, the sort of cliche, a real Premier League club is banned about too much. You know, you sort of say the likes of Nottingham Forest, Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds come into that bracket. But to be fair, I think Leeds would be great crack in the Premier League. It's been too long. So we've been, what, 15 years now. I think, you know, their fan base certainly deserves it, if nothing else. They've supported them for that spell. It's never sort of dropped off, obviously going down to League One as well during that spell. So they would be a welcome addition. We just have to see if they can actually go all the way and finish, um, well, either champions or win the playoffs. Something that Fulham did last year, obviously. But if we go back to the Premier League and Newcastle, the combination of results for them over the weekend was the worst possible ones as they went into the bottom three before ball was even kicked at Stamford Bridge. So they were beaten by Chelsea last weekend, which is not the most... Remarkable thing to come out of that game. What was, though, Matthew, was Rio Fernandes' comments about Mike Ashley? I mean, let's be honest, they were pretty ludicrous, weren't they? Yeah, but I've got to sort of tread carefully over this because I'm not on good terms with many um, Newcastle fans on Twitter because I do think that they are the most uh, somewhat deluded fan base oh, wow. in, in, right. in the Premier no, League, it, at mate. least. Go not, for it, maybe, go for it. Maybe, Maybe not across England, but certainly in the Premier League, they are the most deluded and inconsistent fan base over this whole thing. Like, for instance, I'll get the, the one example I bring up, and the one they never have an answer to, is they always say, we want to spend money. Our record signing is £15 million from uh, 13 years ago. We want, you know, Why aren't you spending more money? Yet when they sign Martin Dubravka for £4 million and our Asian player, Key Young. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think on a free transfer or a loan, and then they get Kennedy in on a loan. So basically, those three players they've spent four million. They're all going mad about how this is great business, but yet you want him to spend the money. So how can you be happy over him getting these bargains? You were also very happy for some reason when he was getting or the club was getting in these bargains like Johan Kabay and Ben Arthur and all these ones from from Lee from French uh, from the French leagues. Yeah, you want him to spend the money. You can't have it both ways. So, to an extent, I, I know there's a lot of you know, grey area with Rio Ferdinand because apparently he's in deal with Mike Ashley over um, over one of his clothing brands. I don't know. I don't I think care. It's five or something, um, isn't it? Some, some rubbish you wouldn't buy. So, Yeah, exactly. I'm not buying it. It's not my <laughs> line of work. I don't care. But I think, again... To an extent, Rio Fernand is wrong because you look at the state Newcastle are in now. I do agree with the fans to an extent that, yes, they probably could have spent a little bit more money than they have in the past, but they need to get a real grip on themselves. But at the same time, you look at you know, Newcastle fans, just look you know, however many miles it is down the road at Sunderland. Which would you rather have? There are many more cases of worse-run football clubs in this country. You should be great. They, they should be somewhat grateful that they are even in the situ even in the situation that they're in. Yeah. End of end of run. I don't know where to I don't know where to carry on from there, but no, that's yeah, fine, I'm, not, I'm not good with Newcastle fans. No, no, that's not a problem at all. And you make you do make some good points, so don't worry about that. I'll I'll back you up in any um, um out outage that comes from Newcastle fans. But you're absolutely right in the sense that um there are worse run clubs. I mean if you look at Dean like Coventry for example, I mean they could be kicked out of the league um for next season if they can't get back into the Rico because I think they've got to solve their legal issue by the end of this season if 
because Wasps, you know, Wasps have the ground and all. It's very, very murky. But that's a real bad example of how a football camp club can be badly run. So I guess Newcastle fans, it could be a lot worse for them, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it definitely could. Um, I mean, there's there's so many out there. I mean, Charlton and yeah, and another great Thund- example. Blackpool as well. Oh yes. Premier League that are just yeah, it, it could be worse than than what Newcastle have, but. At the same time, I think they've had that sort of taste, haven't they, of Champions League football in the past, and they have got a massive fan base, and you do feel like with the right owner, they, they could be like a really, really promising uh, a promising side in the Premier League, but unfortunately, it's, it's not the case at the moment. But still, they've got questions to answer on the field. I mean, they're below Cardiff in the table at the moment. They've got a Champions League winning manager and a better squad, in my opinion, than Cardiff, so... Maybe they've got to just sort that out before they start worrying about about the owner because they've got they, they haven't got one of the worst three squads in the league in my opinion. They've got one of the managers that probably fourteen or fifteen Premier League clubs would take. So why on earth are they in the relegation zone? Yes, yeah, a fair point. Do you see them beating the drop or not, Dean? Yeah, I, I do think they'll eventually finish above Cardiff, but it will be a tight run thing. Okay, um, we mustn't forget the sharp end of the table. We usually start at the top and work our way down, but we seem to have flipped it around this week because, to be honest, with Liverpool Man City's wins over the weekend, we didn't really learn too much from those performances. The status quo remains the same. Liverpool still four points clear and all that. But, um, Matthew, what did you make of Bolly sending off last night? Because if you take that one and compare it to Paul Pogba's tackle on Deli Alley the day before, how was one, red, one a red card and one the other? Is that just, again, a lack of consistency... In terms of referees, is that something that VAR would stamp out next season? What's your take on those video nasties? Yeah, um, it's a it's a whole it's a whole host of, excuse me it's a whole host of things. I think mainly the inconsistency. It's one it is one of the things that VAR would sort out. I honestly, before we get VAR in, I it's one of the many things everyone says. Oh, they should take this from rugby. They should take it from whatever. I just all I want to see is the ref. Is referees have a head a head camera so we can see exactly what they saw? Because for all we know, um, I haven't you know I haven't watched the full de- uh, the full clips in detail, but there could have been a player blocking his view from the angle that the referee seen it. He may it may not look that bad from the referee the uh, the angle the lines would look at it may not be that bad. It could be a whole number of things, and it and to an extent, yes, it is something the VAR will sort out next year. Um, when we and when we manage to get multiple angles on these sort of things, but in the grand scheme of things, I've just come to accept the inconsistency overall. You know, we've had all this all these years of the big club bias, so in all fairness, we shouldn't really be shocked that any of these uh, decisions are wrong at this stage. So until we've got a full concrete way of sorting it out, then there's just really no point of us really no point of us arguing about it anymore. <laughs> he sounds like a beaten housewife, Matthew, just giving up on life. But, um, but Dean, for you, should Bolly have gone last night? Because I don't think it was integral in terms of how the game panned out. City always did look the better team. But um, it's certainly with Wolves at the Etihad, they could have done with at least 11 men to make it more of a contest, couldn't they? So was it a game changer for you? Uh, yeah, I, well, I think any team that gets goes down to 10 men against Guardiola, City is going to struggle, so... Yeah, it was a game changer, but at the same time, they probably would have uh, lost anyway. I don't know. I don't know if personally, I would have called it a red card. Oh, uh, I didn't think it was red, to be honest. I think you see you see worse tackles than that um, in the lower leagues. I mean, I go and watch Rochdale quite a lot. And I, I see a good few of them every game, to be honest. So, um, I think 
you, we're in danger now sometimes of when we slow down the video and we see just still images on Twitter maybe that every tackle looks a little bit worse than it actually was. I think if you watch it in real time, it's only sort of connected with one leg. Uh, the studs are showing, but sometimes it's hard. It's really hard to make a slide tackle without the studs sort of coming up a little bit. So I think it was a little bit harsh. And I think if we start giving a red card for every tackle like that, then there'll be some games that, that don't even finish because of that many red cards, to be honest. Yeah, there wouldn't be enough players on the pitch to be match abandoned. But I guess if we look at that tackle last night, and then you look at, say, Vincent Company's tackle at the start of the month against Liverpool. Why is that not a red? I guess, you know, inconsistency is the most infuriating thing, really, isn't it? Because no referees are the same. You might get a different ref who then judges one tackle is the threshold for booking, which is, a, a, you know, sending off. So unless you have the same ref referee all 380 Premier League games, which unfortunately isn't possible, you are going to get those deficiencies, aren't you, Matthew? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I, sorry, I zoned out for a minute. Could you repeat repeat the question? Sorry. That's right, mate. <laughs> Just giving up on life, haven't you? Just yeah, saying yeah. That in terms of, um, you had Bolly getting sent off last night. You had company who should have perhaps maybe got sent off against Liverpool. You know those inconsistencies are frustrating. But I guess unless you had the same referee, referee all three hundred and eighty matches, you are going to get those, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Because it's one of these things. You know, we we talk about some. Um, how the English league and when's last it when uh, Ibrahimovic him bring him up again uh, when he first came to English league he was that you no know, referees are um, you know allowed more physical style of play so the fact that we have sort of consistencies across leagues would then dictate that we do have uh, different cons- uh, consistency levels across across referees as well there may be one. I really don't want to go into stereotypes here, but I shall. There may be one who was brought up on the you know, on the the tough streets of Sheffield, for instance, one of the referees who who likes a bit more physical style of play. Whereas you'll have one who, when he played football as a kid, was told to pass the ball out of the back, so appreciates a more uh, fluid style of play and doesn't like and doesn't like tackles uh, flying in. So he'll be more... Uh, so one of them will be more lenient, one of them will be more strict on yellow cards. So yeah, you absolutely do have a point there that we can expect a level of inconsistency because humans, by their own by their own nature, um, aren't robots. They have a, some level of sensibilities between between them. One will see one thing as as um, as a red one will see it as a yellow one will see it as one will see it as no as no foul one might even see it as a dive just because there's no consistency uh, we shouldn't really be criticizing but just naturally there's no consistency with any of these referees yep i think you're spot on there mate and let's stay with man city and the small matter of their nine goals against burton last week in the afl cup now you almost have to ask the question is the second leg worth it but more importantly dean and matthew i'll ask you both did you view that 9-0 being as disrespectful or is it just symptomatic of it just being a real mismatch? Did Pep really need to crush the opposition as bad as he did? I don't think you can play football without trying to score goals. Like that, The end of the game is to try and put the ball in the net and those players out there, that's that's their job at the end of the day. And I, I, don't, I don't really subscribe to this sort of wishy-washy, uh, it's disrespectful. At the end of the day, You've got your job is to go out there and score more goals in the opposition, score as many as you can, and that's what City did. And Burton Albion, like they're a League One side, but they're all professional footballers. They should have had a little bit more uh, shape and a little bit more organisation than they did. Because how often do you actually see 
9-0 nine nil, nine nil as the final scoreline. It's, it's very rare, no matter how much of a mismatch. So as much as it was... Uh, as much as it was a crushing defeat, I think Burton brought it a little bit on themselves by sort of giving up a little bit, which is understandable given the circumstances. But I don't see I don't see any criticism towards City for just get scoring as many goals as they can. And as for the second leg, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it might as well be a reserve game for both teams. I think it might be time in the next couple of years that we we see the second leg of the semi final sort of phased out a little bit. Yes. Um, so I'm going. I'm going down the uh, disrespectful route on this, only because only because of the opponent. If if this was a league game, for instance, where goal difference came into it, and say Manchester City, um, it was against Manchester United, and this was a level, uh, not necessarily nine 0 against Manchester United, but to an extent, if this was Manchester City, like asserting their authority, just putting it like putting a marker down and saying, right, we are the dominant side. This we are the best team in Manchester. So on, so. Forth. Fourth, I can kind of understand. I I can understand that, but this is League One Burton Albion. What are you achieving by doing it? Yeah, I I, I I understand the whole what they meant to do when they get to you know four nil. It was basically the tie was basically over. What they meant to do for four nil? Just basically uh, do what Germany and Austria did back in the eighties and just pass it around the back for the other 60 minutes or so so i i kind of understand that but at the same at the same time i do think because it's because it's burton albion there's just some level of pep what are you doing take it take it easy on them for for crying for crying out loud you're not you're not proving anything by scoring nine against by scoring nine against Burton Albion, if you wanted to score like five or six against Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea that would show me something. But nine against Burton Albion doesn't doesn't tell me anything that I didn't already know about this Manchester City side. And when it does come to the second leg, honestly, Burton Albion could put their first team out and Manchester City could put their under-16s out and it's still not going to make a jot of difference. No, it's not. I mean, but don't... I think Dean's also just mentioned this, but don't Burton have to sort of ask themselves like what are they doing like no league one team really should be getting pumped 9-0 I don't care who they're playing they are still professionals it's only the third tier of English football so they've got to be asking questions of themselves at the same time surely Matthew um, yeah to an extent you know once you get to three surely there is a mechanism of right not only not get 10 men behind the ball get 11 men behind the ball uh, maybe get a 12th if you want to get one of the ball boys in as well just in case um, yeah there is yeah, Burn Albion have to, to but but at the same time, what I'm not gonna take anything away from, from Burn Albion over this. They they turned up, what 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 more else, you know, could they could they do? But bar just play Rue one and just try and maybe get one or just again, just pass it around, just wind the clock down. No, you are right. But yeah, the uh, second leg is gonna be sort of farcical really, isn't it? Because it's just the most foregone conclusion that we've ever seen in football, so um whether Burton get some hurrah and City do pay the kids and at least gain some pride by, I don't know, snatching a 2-1 win, who knows. But it, City are in the final, aren't they? We know that much. We just have to find out who they face out of Chelsea and Tottenham. And um, with that in mind, it's Premier League action this weekend, so I've just got to do a little bit of admin, pay the bills, as I just need your loser pool picks of the week. Um, Matthew, you know how it works. It's the guaranteed loser. Dean, obviously your first time up on the show, so all I need from you is out of the 10 fixtures taking place this weekend... Who is a guaranteed loser over the next few days? 
I'm gonna go with Crystal Palace at Liverpool. Uh, I just I can't see Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool have only really dropped points two or three times this season, and as much as Palace have looked a little bit better in the last few weeks. I just think Liverpool will be far too strong for them. I know Palace have actually got an half-decent record against Liverpool as well, um, but Liverpool did win at Sellers Park earlier in the season. I just think with the amount of quality they've got up front, I think that'll be 3 or 4 nil to Liverpool. So, Palace beat City earlier, what was it, last month. Can you not see a, a second shock scalp on the horizon? I, I, I kind of hope so, because I, I think... Uh, Liverpool need to have like a couple of bad results just to make it a little bit more interesting again. Uh, but no, nah, I'm not. I'm not seeing them pull that out twice. It would be it'd be quite an achievement if they win at both City and Liverpool and still manage to be in the bottom half of the table. Okay, then Matthew, what about you, mate? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit more safer this time because I believe my last one was I predicted Cardiff would beat or Manchester United <laughs> yes. would lose to Cardiff City in Vardy Solskjaer's first game. That came out wrong. So I'm going to go slightly more safer with this one. And following on from what we were talking about, uh, Claude Puel under pressure, it's finally going to crack to him. So I think against a very good Wolverhampton Wanderers side, I think Leicester City are guaranteed losers at Molyneux in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. Decent shout. I'm going to play mine uh, quite safe or very safe. I'm going to keep the Oli Gunnar Solskjaer train moving forward. I'm going to go for Brighton to lose at Old Trafford. Um, just, I think, you know, he's won six in a row. Why not seven? I think Brighton aren't going to be the toughest opposition. That said, Brighton did beat United earlier in the season, but that was in the Mourinho era. Things have changed, and I think it will be a seventh heaven for United. So I'll just recap. Matthew's gone for Leicester to lose at Molyneux and the lunchtime kickoff. Dean's gone for Palace to lose at Anfield against Liverpool in um, on Saturday at 3 o'clock. And it's also rare, 3 o'clock for Man United, as they face Brighton at home. And I believe that Brighton will lose to Manchester United. So that's uh, the Bills pay for this week. I just need to wrap up and uh, thank my guests. So, Dean, a fantastic debut performance. I hope you'll join me sometime soon between now and the end of the season. Yeah, definitely, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, mate. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And Matthew, once more, a sterling effort. And like I say, there's plenty of weeks between now and May, so I hope you'll be back on the show soon. Yeah, Bomber, uh, my sentiments exactly. Thanks very much for having me on. Pleasure as always. And as I've said before, I'm only a DM away. Excellent. And with that in mind, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.